Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Okay, this is another pretty exciting special episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. On this episode, I get a chance to chat with Sanjay Vakil. He's the executive director of Masks On, M-A-S-K-S-O-N.org is their website. But they have basically taken, uh, designed a component to fit between two readily available off-the-shelf products. One is a scuba mask, and the other is a, a filter that's already used in clinical settings. And they build this component to connect those two things together. It's pretty exciting because they're building face masks for PPE needs to help address COVID-19 situations. So really cool company, it's a not-for-profit, they're raising funds, but they're sending these masks out free of charge to any healthcare provider that that wants one. And it's really cool initiative. So I encourage and actually I challenge each of you listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast to spread the word about the Masks On initiative. And if there's something that we can do to help spread the word, you know, get this to, to healthcare providers, you know, if you're so compelled and you're willing to donate a few dollars to the cause, I know every little bit's going to help. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And kind of excited about this one. It's another special episode, if you will, of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Over the past few weeks or so, we've been um, very honored to have conversation with folks who are doing something about the COVID-19 pandemic that we're all faced with right now. And this is one of those episodes that Pretty exciting. So joining me on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast is Devin Campbell. Devin has been a guest in the past. He's with Product, P-R-O-D-C-T. And then also joining me is Sanjay Vakil. And Sanjay is the executive director for Mask On. So gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here again, John. Yeah. And so, Devin, I'd kind of like to start with you and then see where the conversation goes. You first made me aware of this Masks On initiative. And the more I learn about it and read about it and, and hear about it, it's like, wow, this is really amazing. And you and I, you know, uh, you pulled me into a couple other uh, initiatives recently uh, doing some ventilator, mm-hmm. emergency ventilator projects. So I guess let's get the ball rolling a little bit. How did you become aware of, of Masks On and, and where we are to, to get to where we are today? Sure. Well, I mean, it's a it's a pretty fast and, and simple story. As you introduce, you and I have both been involved with a number of emergency ventilator projects, and we've had people calling looking for advice uh, on the EUA front and medical device best practices, um, but specifically on the the ventilator space. And there was a project that I was working on that pulled you into as well. One of the leaders on that project who was helping represent the manufacturing and supply chain and scale-up side of things is also peripherally involved with Masks On and gave my name and number to one of the members of the board of directors, recognizing the fact that on the ventilator project that we were working on, where it was mostly, it wasn't necessarily all medical device people. It's just a lot of 
you know, caring, big-hearted engineers and scientists and executives wanting to be able to do something. Um, but it's often helpful when you're uh, toying in this medical device space to have folks that have been there, done that, like like you and me. So he recognized that the Masks On project could use a voice from the industry. And in doing so, gave my name and number to a member of the board. That guy called me. We had a long conversation in the evening. And the next day, I mean, I was, I was stoked. I was on board. I was ready to go. And the next day, I started volunteering anywhere that I could to help. Had an opportunity to, to meet Sanjay and a bunch of other people on the team. And over the course of a couple of weeks, help them think about what they're doing for medical device space. Think about the RAQA implications of a lot of things. Uh, and now I'm sitting on the board uh, with Sanjay kind of helping to continue to do the same. Terrific. And Sanjay, so I'll, I'll pull you into this because I, I look at your background. I'm like, this guy has an awesome career and an awesome set of experiences, but med devices and this didn't seem like a natural path to, to pull you into a project like this. So how did you get involved and what was the driving force behind this? That's a great question. So it, it came through slightly serendipitous channels where one of the anesthesiologists who uh, invented the mask that we're working with uh, ended up talking to his future brother-in-law who works at Google and basically said, hey, I need someone who's good with 3D printers to help out sort of building this adapter. And, uh, and at that point, the email went out through a couple of internal channels at Google. And I'm a bit of an inveterate tinkerer. And so immediately sort of glommed onto this idea of taking two relatively simple devices and building a bridge between them to build something really useful out of it. And I actually, I went and looked up the date of that email before this phone call. It was March 18th that that email went out. And so that's, that's about how recent this stuff has gotten started. Wow. I mean, that's, Devin and I have talked a little bit about this offline before, and I think it's something that, you know, once we get a little bit of time and distance past COVID, I'd like to revisit, maybe have a follow-up episode with, with the three of us to talk about this. But I think sometimes medical device product development, the notion behind it is it's encumbered by regulatory obstacles and hurdles. And I'm not saying we should forget about those, but but it's been very encouraging to see initiatives like Mask On that are moving very, very quickly. I mean, at the time of this recording, March 18th was about you know a month and a half ago, and you've been producing products for, for quite some time now, right? Yeah, I think we started shipping in quantity less than a month after we started, actually less than that. It was more like three weeks after we started. And we had gone through about four product life cycles before that uh, with a small wow. group of beta testers. Wow. I, so I think there's some lessons that we, the medical device community, can learn from this experience going forward. Maybe we're spending too much time in minutia going through the details. I, I don't know. Devin, I guess I'll, I'll get your initial reaction to that, that notion. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I was really impressed by what this team had done that, quite frankly, I don't necessarily see examples of it being done all the time in our industry. And that is to really put the physicians and the users, first and foremost, like right in the front of the entire process and to engage them throughout the process as they're trying to design and develop to say, is, is this kind of what you're thinking? Would this need try this on? How does this feel? Can, is the work of breath too difficult for you here? What kind of tests can we do? Um, so it was much more designing a solution to a problem rather than you know, designing something and going out there and looking for a problem to solve with it. I, I just was really impressed about how, how user forward 
the design team uh, that did this uh, was you know keeping everything there. One thing I'd like to mention too, the design team here, which was so it is so interesting to be involved with. You know, we're all collaborating from across different industries and across different companies. You can go to masksorn.org and you can see just, you know, a small sampling of all of these different companies that are getting involved with um, participating in the design development process. And you, you don't see a lot of big medical device company names in there because it's just, it's this really courageous and brave group um, that's happening. And we're not the only ones doing that. There's lots of other you know, projects that are doing that well, but it's, it's just been heart, um, you know, heartwarming to see other industries stepping in and trying to, you know, help here. And to your point, John, I think that we're going to have an opportunity here to reflect and learn about some of the best practices that we've pulled, you know, into what we're doing on all these different projects to really help advance how we do product development in the medical device space. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about about the future of our industry because well let's just say I've, these stories are are really inspiring you know and I, I hope this comes out the right way i'm somewhat envious of the work that you guys have been doing and sanjay did talk a little bit more about the mask on story you talked about having a few iterations of design and and, and you know it's it's been happening fast so maybe talk take a moment or two and talk through sort of your process and how you've come to, you know, multiple iterations so quickly and then ultimately shipping product out. So I think there are a couple things going on here. One is that we've been reasonably humble about being honest with ourselves about not knowing what we don't know. And so uh, Devin's being very kind to describe sort of the broad set of people that are coming in because we didn't have people early on who had experience with device manufacturing. Uh, we just went to the doctors and we figured they knew what they were doing uh, and could give us some feedback. And that that ended up being part of the focus of how we worked. And the iterations went very quickly because as soon as we could you know, 3D print a new design, we actually had a little courier network set up that would run it to one of our you know, beta physicians. I shouldn't call the physicians beta physicians, but our, our beta testers uh, who, who are physicians and clinicians in the Boston area. And they would they would try it out immediately, typically not in a clinical environment, but they'd be, you know, they'd get on their Peloton or they'd, they'd, they'd start getting on a treadmill and making sure the work of breath was appropriate. Uh, in some cases, they'd actually go and hook themselves up and do capnography tests with it directly so that they could, you know, do some CO2 and O2 measurements in the process. And that it was a really, really tight loop back and forth between these groups as we handed stuff off between them. And I think that's, that's rare. Uh, yeah. and, and rare, not just in this industry, but rare in, in most industries to have that level of investment from uh, the ultimate users of the product. Yeah, it, it's really cool. And folks, I definitely encourage you, Devin mentioned it a moment ago, but I'll reiterate it. Go to masksorn, M-A-S-K-S, on .org. What I love about the product is the simplicity. I mean, you're taking a an off-the-shelf product, uh, and I have a short story about that. I was on a vacation recently, and we were going to do some some snorkeling, and we saw this mask, and one, it was a snorkel mask that I wasn't familiar with before. It, uh, but it was cool because it covered your entire face, and you know, I I worry about you know some claustrophobia and that feeling of being underwater, and I, like this mask removed a lot of that, but it was like. It was a different form factor than what I had become used to from a snorkel mask. But basically, you're taking an off-the-shelf 
snorkel mask and sort of retrofitting it uh, for these uses. So Sanjay, do you mind describing a little bit about the technology that you've developed and, and how it works? Yeah, so it's pretty straightforward, actually. So, you know, we had to make a couple. So, again, the, the snorkel mask, for those who, who want me to try to paint a picture with words, it, it's a full face covering mask. Uh, it has soft sort of silicone on it so that it can sort of gently sit against your face and, and have some pressure against it from some, some uh, straps that go over the back of your head. And it, it covers the entirety of your face up through your forehead. And there's a piece that sits over your nose and mouth, which is effectively designed to capture the exhalation uh, and send it in a different path so it doesn't fog up the top half of the mask where your eyes are. That's the underlying technology. And, and I want to be clear, this predates us. This is not technology we put together. The other piece that's important is the mask has a couple of interesting valve mechanisms in it. Uh, one of them is actually around that nose and mouth section. And, and this is pretty subtle and you can't see it easily, but there's one-way valves there. And the idea is that uh, when you inhale, you're actually pulling air across uh, where your eyes are. And when you exhale, you're actually pushing that air uh, through a different channel that bypasses uh, the top half of the mask where your eyes are. And what this means is that that moist air that would typically fog you up is actually routed up and out of the way. So we built on top of that uh, and we where the snorkel would normally show up, uh, which again, sort of loosely speaking, sort of sits at the top of your forehead. You look kind of like a reverse unicorn uh, when you're wearing one of these with a full snorkel on it. We're replacing that with a small adapter. And that adapter then goes into a typical filter that you'd find in a hospital. Uh, they're typically called anesthesiology circuit filters. And by closing off all of the other ports to the mask, we basically force uh, both the inhale and the exhale to go through that filter and, and thereby you know, provide some significant protections for the, the clinicians wearing it. Yeah, again, folks, you can get a much better visual by going to maskson.org. There's a couple of videos and things there. Devin, I know um, with all of these, you know, some of the things that you and I have talked about previously, the, the emergency ventilator projects and, and probably even with masks on, there's still some regulatory hurdles and challenges. I know a lot of folks are now aware of this pathway known as the emergency use authorization can you maybe speak a little bit to the EUA and how it relates to mask on and, and, and that sort of thing? Sure. So the FDA has put out some guidance with respect to PPE and um, specifically in, in masks and full face shields and things like that. And I think kudos to the agency there. They really did a nice job making it very clear as to what uh, you need to be able to do and what labeling you need to provide for users. And if doing so, you can be pulled into the fold for um, the emergency use authorization. And it's a little different than the uh, um, more sophisticated devices like ventilators and things like that, because that has a lot of other you know, additional safety features that you have to consider and they're electromechanical devices and there's more complexity. But I think that the FDA did a really nice job putting out very clear guidance uh, for industry uh, when it comes to the, the PPE side of things. And so we've been using that uh, as, our, um, as our lighthouse to kind of guide uh, our ship as we navigate toward these waters. We are opening up lines, additional lines of communication. We actually, Sanjay and I had a call uh, earlier today uh, talking about this with a few others. 
And um, we want to continue opening up lines of communication with the FDA to ensure that what we're doing does fall underneath that kind of umbrella statements that they've made uh, and make sure that you know, we're doing the right things that continues to keep them comfortable, you know, not just for them, but then also for uh, you know, our users and the hospitals and uh, administrators and everybody else that's involved in the entire value chain of using the product and making sure that it, it's appropriate for use in those environments. But I would contrast this a lot with, with uh, the ventilator guidance and some of the IVD guidance to demonstrate that this side was much, it's a much simpler path. Uh, and it's much more straightforward for us. So I think the agency did a great job kind of putting together some clear clear instructions for us. Yeah, I, I think that's a theme in general. I mean, even uh, in recent weeks, I know there was like on the much more complicated electromechanical devices, ventilators and things like that. It, mm-hmm. It's been confusing to a lot of folks. Uh, I know you and I have been a part of plenty of conversations trying to figure out how to navigate that. I do applaud the FDA as well. I think they've been appropriately responsive on all of these different product areas and in a way that's that's embracing or understanding that there's a need and let's figure out you know how to adapt the regulatory pathways and options, so to speak, to, to not get in the way of, of getting products to folks that can benefit from these technologies. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've noticed is that the FDA has sort of walked this interesting line. I'm forgetting now who said this. I think it was one of the famous folks from Apple, but they said, make simple things simple and complex things possible. And so I feel like the masks are on the simple side of things yeah. where, you know, we're effectively putting a, a fancy plastic tube. And I feel terrible trivializing the work that this entire team has done by sort of characterizing it that way. But when it comes right down to it, it's a fancy injection mold of the tube. Uh, and, and that pathway should be simple. And then the more you know, complex electromechanical devices should be possible and there should be pathways for it, but let's not confuse the two. For sure. And I want to highlight a couple of things about the masks on product, or at least bring to surface. And Sanjay, you're probably much better. I know you're much better to highlight all the, the benefits of your products, but you know, these are devices that can be used what, many, many times, right? Yeah, correct. You know, and I would contrast this with, you know, they're designed to be used many, many times. Um, so the the typical usage of this sort of mask is that you'd, you'd go snorkeling with it uh, and then you'd rinse it out with, a, you know, their actual recommendation is a mild bleach solution, let it hang to dry. And the next day you're ready to go again. And so that that particular behavior is is comparable to what we do. We anticipate and recommend using in a clinical setting where we expect that people will have one mask per clinician. It'll be their mask. It'll be fitted to them and they'll be, you know, and they're slightly different sizes and they'll get the right one. Uh, and then they'll use that mask more or less continuously and take it home with them, clean it up and bring it in the next day. And today, I mean, you've shipped what I think I saw on your, um, your LinkedIn page uh, maybe a day or two ago, something like 4,000 masks right now. The last number I saw, I pulled up just before this conversation, was 4,157. And I'm only being that specific because it's so exciting to see a number like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. And, and this, is, uh, this is across the entire country too, right? Yeah, I think we're up to 45 states. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of holdouts out there that we're hoping to get masks to at some point, but that's, that's just my ego that's bruised there. Um, 45 states <laughs> is, is the vast majority of the country. And we've actually got a map uh, that we can send over to you if you're interested that that has, um, you know, it, it's actually, it's interesting. It, someone pointed out that it's a, a counterpoint to the COVID hotspot map, right? Where 
it it loosely aligns with what you see there, except this is a positive story with these little dots on the on, on uh, across the country rather than a negative one. Well, maybe elaborate on that because I uh, a little bit more because I you know I am looking at your your map and I see uh, the largest circle is looks like down in the New Orleans area and then you got some up in the East Coast and then there's a a, a giant uh, circle in Colorado area. So maybe speak a little bit more about that point you just made. Yeah, so part of this is just our distribution strategy, which has been very very simple. Uh, as a nonprofit, we wanted to basically give away masks to anybody that asked for them. And so what you're seeing here is partly, uh, I hate to use the term viral to describe how people are learning about our product, but it's, it's disturbingly accurate where, you know, once we have masks in a few people's hands in, in an area, um, the clinicians actually talk to each other and they say, hey, I, I got this mask. It, it's, it's real. It's not sketchy. It's not, a, uh, it's not a scam. It actually showed up. I tried it. It works. And there are hundreds of these little Facebook groups out there of local clinicians, uh, especially the nursing community, who talk to each other. And uh, as they talk to each other, they learn about it and we get more requests that come in. So there's a lot of masks here on the East Coast uh, and particularly in the Boston area. Part of that is a side effect of there being a lot of hospitals in Boston. And you know that's, that's pretty obvious. Part of it is a side effect of us doing the testing here and being able to deliver quantities really quickly here. We just Instead of FedExing them around the country, we just load them up in the back of my car and we drive them to where they need to go. And so we can quickly get them into people's hands. Sure. Well, I want to, you said something I think is, uh, I want to highlight. Any clinician can make a request for a mask and they'll get one. No charge, right? That's correct. And actually, even the word clinician here, I feel like is, is, is perhaps too narrow. Um, anybody that, that, that we feel has a legitimate use for the mask because they're a healthcare worker in some capacity, we're willing to send it to. So, you know, I think that there's places that we don't typically think of as being uh, quite as needful is not the right word. There, let me say it this way. There's a lot of nursing homes. There's a lot of critical care communities. There's a lot of special ed schools that are, that are residential that have uh, some very, very devoted workers there taking care of a population that is not mobile. And, and is particularly susceptible. And so we've been pretty liberal in terms of who we give it to. My only real, you know, and we always have a group of, of customer service reps that look at every request and try to figure out whether it's going to someplace useful. And they're, they're pretty liberal about it. You know, my only real goal here is to make sure the masks get into the hands of people who need them and will use them. I'd rather not have them, you know, showing up to be resold on eBay. But short of that, we'll ship them to whoever, whoever needs them. Even like in prisons and places where people are incarcerated, right, where there's a, an opportunity for this virus to just um, wreak havoc to be able to have something in that side of that sort of uh, environment as well is, is a place that we've talked about and, and have had some, some uptake. Really interesting. The other thing about Mask On is you're not for profit. But right. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that and what we and the listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast can do to not only help spread the word about Mask On, but what can we do? How can we help? That's a great question. So a couple of things. One is uh, we're not for profit. We, we stood ourselves up very quickly because we felt that we'd be able to raise money from individuals and be able to send masks out. We've raised close to $2 million so far in in-kind in and direct donations. And we're aiming for five uh, for five million. So we're coming on up on halfway there. the The reason we wanted to to do a not for profit there's a couple of a couple of key reasons. The, the biggest one is that it gives us a real clarity of purpose, right? We're doing this to get 
clinicians safer, right? That's it. That's, that's the end of the story. And you don't have to muddy that story with any sort of profit motive going on. Oh, what are we going to do afterwards? I'm going to, do we patent this? Do we, do we set up a company afterwards? I, I bet everybody will want this because it's so awesome. Like all of that conversation goes away. And we can, as a team, have a very clear goal sitting ahead of us, which is to protect as many clinicians as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say, John, it's been interesting. My background um, in the entrepreneurial circles, I've started three or four companies over the years that were all for profit. And I came to this notion of being part of a nonprofit with uh, you know, a slightly jaundiced eye, if you will, where I looked at it and said, are we really going to get great people if we do this? You know, isn't not for profit less serious? They don't move as fast. Uh, and, and in practice, I found quite the opposite. Um, and partly I should know this because my wife uh, ran a nonprofit for about six years, uh, changing laws in Massachusetts and had an incredibly uh, smart, talented and focused group of people working for her. But the groups tend not to sort of feed people back and forth. They, you tend not to see fantastically devoted nonprofit people show up in a for-profit company or vice versa, um, with the exception of some folks sort of at the end of their career or beyond the end of their career where they'll spend time on a nonprofit board. But what we found is that um, the willingness for people to give time and energy towards the cause, I believe, has been far greater because it's a not-for-profit, where mm-hmm. when I started companies in the past, for-profit, the question is, What's in it for me? How much of the pie do I get? When do I start seeing a piece of that pie and so on? And that, that whole conversation is sort of taken off the table, which is, which is it's amazing. It, it's, been, it's been wonderful. There's an extra piece I'd like to layer in here, John. It, sure. It's a nonprofit and it's physician-led, but it's also, uh, it's volunteer-run. So you could have a nonprofit, but then have, you know, an executive board and all these other people that get paid and, and, you know, people have bosses and managers and everything else that, that happens. Whereas we're really liberated here to be in this environment where it's a nonprofit, we're volunteer driven, and there is, there's a stunning lack of ego. There's, there's just nothing that gets in the way of progress. If uh, we've got this uh, courier Slack channel and, uh, if there needs to be um, masks that, that get delivered, you know, any one of us pop up and say, yeah, I'll drive them down to New York or I'll drive them up to uh, Western Mass or wherever we have to go. I did a run. I had 150 masks packed into the back of my X5. I mean, everyone just does everything and no one's doing it for, you know, a good performance review or for, you know, a specific KPI that's tied to their bonus or whatever. We're all just here to try to make make things better for people and, and to give in and contribute with, with the mission that uh, Sandy articulated earlier. And it's just, it's been really uh, a liberating and um, exciting environment to be contributing in. The, the career network is hilarious in some ways because it is, it is the great leveler. There are people yeah. in the career network who are, you know, 16 year olds who just got their license and are, are running, you know, back and forth between doctor's porches. And there's, there's senior VPs at local companies who are hopping in just yeah. because they want to help. <laughs> yep. Well, that, that just, that inspired an, an idea um, in my uh, neck of the woods, so to speak. So I'm in central Indiana and I don't see a very big dot on your map in Indiana, but, you know, I have 
two uh, teenage children. My fiance has teenage children and I know they're, you know, they want to do what they can to help too. And we're all in this weird way right now with school and, you know, our normal social routines being significantly hampered, but feeling like there's something good that we can bring. So maybe I'll in, employ some of my driving teenagers to, to help be a courier to help get some of these products out to folks who need them in Indiana. Cool. I'll make you a distribution point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a good idea. And I think this is, you know, kind of like what we can do to help and not just, um, well, I, I'll challenge everyone listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast and and the medical device community and, and I guess the those outside of the community as well. There's lots of little simple things that we can do to help the Mask On initiative. Uh, if you want to know what you can do, go to masksonorg. Um, you know, getting the word out to the clinicians and and those who can benefit or can use this sort of technology in their everyday lives. I encourage them to spread the word. Uh, you can make contributions. Um, there's a GoFundMe page. You can also make a 501c3 contribution as well. So let's help this team achieve their proliferation of their products across every place that needs it. And let's help them raise the funds that they need by spreading the word. So before we wrap up today, any final thoughts or words that you'd like to leave the listening audience with? John, this is Devin. I mean, to speak to the idea of proliferation, I mean, we've got um, products in over 400 hospitals and clinics around the country right now. But we are currently on pace with building about a thousand masks a day. So we are generating a lot of material, and Sandy could uh, speak better to it to how many orders that we have and what our backlog is. But we are getting more and more orders out there. So the need is real, and the demand is real, and we're doing what we can to try to rise to that occasion. But it's, it's a lot of masks that we're buying, assembling, you know, doing all the work that we need to do to get out and then shipping it uh, to get it into the hands of uh, those that need it uh, without any cost to them. You know, so no, no hurdles. You just say you need it and it's there. Yeah, I think, I think the small bit I'll add there is that, you know, one of the things I've discovered through this process is um, we've managed to hook up with some incredibly talented folks who are very good at taking money and turning that into kits that we can send to physicians. And the part of it that's been uh, a little more difficult is turning press awareness and awareness of the product into money that we can then turn into kits. And so to Devin's point, you know, at a thousand masks a day, the masks all in between uh, getting them here from, you know, from China in many cases uh, to kitting them up uh, through the QA process and then ultimately shipping them back out. They work out to about $50 a mask. That's, that's what our numbers say. And so those thousand masks a day mean that uh, we're looking to raise about $50,000 a day to keep up with the demand that we're seeing right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if that demand starts, uh, actually, it's been increasing. It's, it's doubled week over week uh, on a per day basis. And so what keeps me up at night uh, is, is getting as many masks to as many people as we possibly can. And right now, we're in this interesting place where we're, we're shovel ready, if you will, we're just, if more money comes in, more masks go out. It's a very, very simple equation for us. All right. Well, we're going to do our part. The global medical device listening community is going to do our part to, to get the word out. And just want to thank once again, Devin Campbell. Devin is with Product. You can learn more about the work that Product does by going to product.dev, P-R-O-D-C-T dot dev. 
And then I also want to thank Sanjay Fakil with um, MaskOn. He's the executive director, and you can learn a lot more about MaskOn. Uh, you can go to their website, maskon.org. Um, they've also been featured on NPR and a lot of other news stories as well. So check them out. And if you feel compelled, uh, every dollar uh, certainly goes towards uh, meeting the demand that, that's there and, and spreading the word will will allow them to, to get this everywhere where it needs to be used as well. So gentlemen, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. John, thank, thank you, you very much. All right, folks, thank you always being a, a listener of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Um, appreciate this. If this is your first time listening, uh, welcome. There's quite a few other episodes you can catch up on. And and if you've listened many times before, I uh, appreciate you continuing to keep the Global Medical Device Podcast uh, uh, on top and center and, and top of mind uh, for your podcast con- consuming needs. So anyway, enjoy and thank you as always.